Right, they got these nice, bright, shining lights in my eyes, so I can't see to the back of the room. How are you feeling tonight, DSM? We feeling good? <laughs> Clearly didn't hear me. You guys feeling good tonight? Yeah? Where did all of you come from? This is such a packed night. Such a packed night. How many of you enjoyed the snowfall this morning? Oh, oh it was absolutely beautiful. All right. Now here's, here's a very, very psychologically revealing question. How many of you have already started listening to Christmas music because of this snowfall? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Where are all my haters who say not till after Thanksgiving? <laughs> okay, where are all my diehards who are like, no, it's been since August. I've been listening since August. It is, it is the truth. It is the truth. I'm going to confess to you, my wife and I, we are... We are Christmas fanatics. We love Christmas. So Kenny G Christmas has been playing in my house for like four months. Four months. Not, not, like, not like the actual singing, but just like smooth jazz. I grew up my dad listening to Kenny G, and it's like that's the best stuff ever. If you have your Bibles with me this evening, can you turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are in this series titled, Jesus Said What? Jesus said what? So we are going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5 is where we are going to be. Pastor David Martin launched us last week with blessed are the persecuted. Tonight I am going to attempt to tackle verse 8. Before we get there, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that your presence is in this room tonight. You are a good and faithful God. Lord, I pray that your magnificence and your glory would be put on display this evening. Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear truth tonight. Eyes to see you tonight. Lord, I pray that you would stir up a hunger, a thirst, a passion for your word. I pray specifically for those who came in tonight and they feel full of shame. Those who came in tonight and they feel discouraged. Father, would you meet them this evening? Would you give them life this evening? Lord, I pray that we would see miracles happen tonight. Sadness would turn to joy tonight. Lord, that you would give us ears attuned to your voice as we sit and as we marvel at the beautiful mountains to the west and we watch the snow fall, we are reminded this evening that you are Lord, God of the universe, the one who fearfully and made every single person in this room. Lord, I ask that you would stir up faith tonight. Lord, for those who walked in this evening and they don't know you, I ask that they would see you stretch out your hand this evening. And you would welcome them. I thank you, I praise you, I just ask that your word would go forth, your voice would prevail, and your truth would be established. And if you agree with me this evening, say amen. Ooh, I'm pumped for this evening. Pumped for this evening. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are going to be. It is quite an interesting passage of scripture. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When we talk about this quote Sermon on the Mount. If you grew up in church, it is likely that you have heard something from this message. It is the greatest sermon I would argue ever given because it was given by Jesus himself. And I'll go over later why I think that's extremely important. But even if you did not grow up in the church, I believe that you have probably heard some of the teachings from this passage of Scripture. Now, this passage of Scripture over uh, the past 20 centuries... 
has, has sparked quite a bit of some theological debate. Quite a bit of some theological debate. Because when we read this passage of scripture, what we kind of glean from it is a lot of different things. A lot of different things. And, and part of that is because when we look at our religion and kind of how our religion, Christianity, came into being. And we look back into the Old Testament here and we kind of see how, how there, there are three Abrahamic religions that branched out from the Old Testament. You got Islam, you got Judaism, and you have Christianity. Now, where these religions differ is significant for Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I'm going to tell you why here in just a second. But when we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this is why many like to make the argument that this man, Jesus, was just a really good moral teacher. Or he was just a prophet, like the prophets of old. And so, so you, have, you have Islam or you have Judaism where they, they want to make an argument and they want to make a case where it's like, yeah, you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's like, yeah, this guy knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about. The, 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 the simple rule you learn when you are three years old, when you cannot stand your sister or brother and you want to smack a fool, your parents teach you this very simple statement. Treat others as you would yourself. Right? We call it the quote, golden rule. Or do unto others as you would have done unto you, if you're that King James Version person, right? So we, we, we kind of know, and we see that this came from Matthew chapter 7. Or we see at the beginning in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. We have a lot of religions that have a message to preach where they say, no, 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 no. Don't inspire conflict, fight to preserve peace. It's not a Christian exclusive concept or or you see you see him make this statement judge not lest you be judged right take the plank out of your own eye before you begin to observe the splinter in your brother's eye or we see the classic love your enemies as thyself if your brother comes to slap you on the right cheek, turn to him and give him the other also. Turn the other cheek. Or if he comes to steal your garment, give to him your tunic also. And so we kind of see that Jesus goes after teaching that it's like, yeah, a Buddhist would agree with that. Even an atheist would agree with that. Right? We got these good moral teachings. But what makes Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Christian religion profoundly unique is that Jesus makes over and over and over again very, very provocative and scandalous statements in this message. In this message. Let me give you an example. In Matthew 7, he says, and in that day you will come to me and you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many signs and wonders in your name? Did we not do all these marvelous works? And Jesus says... And I will say to you, notice how he doesn't say, and God will say to you. He says, no, no, no. And I will say to you, away from me, I never knew you. Such a provocative statement. He is making the claim that, no, 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 I am not just giving you a moral code, a moral law of the universe. I am the God. In fact, six times in this message, we see Jesus make this very, very simple little statement. He'll say, you have heard it said in the Jewish tradition in the Mosaic law. You have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And then he makes this simple little statement that would get one killed in this day and age. He says, but I say to you, but I say to you, if you are even angry with your and unrighteous, unholy bitterness, anger, you've already committed murder with him in your heart. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, that even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. So... We can sit here and say, yes, he was a moral teacher, or he was a good prophet, 
but any person of religious tradition in this day and age would have taken a man outside of the city and stoned him to death if he made the claim that he was God himself. So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, it is profound for us to understand that we're not listening to a moral teacher. We're listening to the God of the universe. The one who created us. The one who was and is to come. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the one giving this sermon. And if we can understand that, it changes everything. You tracking with me? Matthew 5, 8. This is what we're going to attempt to tackle this evening. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So two questions I'm going to attempt to answer this evening, and it's basically the, the first and second half of this verse. First, what does it mean to see God? And second, what is it to be pure in heart? And before I go there, there's something that we must understand. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we have to see two things are happening simultaneously. Two things. As we read these verses and as I begin to unpack what does it mean to, to, to be blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Two things that we're going to see take place. One, we are going to, to watch as we go line by line how inadequate, how imperfect, and to be honest, how pathetic we are in light of this law. You tracking with me? So it's like, it's like you're going to see how, how, how fragile... How not up to par according to this standard you are. Now simultaneously as we see that and as it becomes abundantly clear to, to use a theological term. We're going to, to acknowledge the depravity of man. While simultaneously seeing the perfection, holiness and magnificence of God. Both at the same time. Both at the same time as we begin to see Jesus break this down. And what does it mean to be his people? We are going to see how inadequate we are and how adequate he is. Are you tracking with me? So blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now I think it's fair before we hop in to answering these two questions to answer what does he mean when he says heart. What does he mean when he says heart? He's not talking about the cardiovascular muscle that's pumping blood all throughout your body right now. And in fact, as I, as I began to go back into the original language of this word, I was astounded at the definition. The, the Greek word for heart is cardia, where we get cardiovascular. Okay, cardia. And this is the definition of heart. In the original Greek language. The center and seat of the spiritual life. It is the fountain and seat of all thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. In other words, all that you are, secret and in public. That is the heart of your master. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus begins to go after what comes from this place in our life. What comes from the center, the seat of the spiritual life. Matthew 23, 25 to 26. Jesus is letting the Pharisees have it, as he always does. Or no, no, I take it back. Matthew 15, 18 through 19. He says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil, thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Then to Matthew 23, 25 through 26, Jesus is letting the Pharisees have it. And he says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. So I'm going to set this preface right out the gate. 
when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus' aim here is not to reform or to change behavior. I need everyone to look at me because this is so important. His aim is not behavioral modification. His aim isn't to change every bad habit that you have in your life here. His aim isn't to see all of, all of the, the messes you have created just simply gone and done. No, no, no. His, his aim isn't to see behavior reformed. It's to see dead things made alive. Are you tracking with me? You, you tracking with me? This is huge. This is huge. His aim isn't to see you change your bad habits. His aim is to see you go from dead to life, from the old self to the new self, from old creation to new creation. This is what Jesus is going after. He's going after the root, not the branch. You tracking with me? He's going after the root, not the branch. He's going, no, no, no. A lot of people can do a lot of good things. Pharisees can say they're keeping the Sabbath. Pharisees can say they're, they're staying away out of sexual addiction. But if the heart has not been purified, you will not see God. You will not see God. Jesus' aim here is not behavioral modification. His aim here is to see dead people made alive. The blind able to see, the old made new. Are you tracking with me right now? If we can grasp this and we begin to understand the Sermon on the Mount in a whole new way. He, he affirms this over and over and over in Scripture. We as humanity tend to look at the outward appearance. That's how we establish leaders, their credibility. This is who, how we establish who your influencers are in your school. Right? And so we even see this back in the Old Testament. God has anointed the prophet Samuel to go and anoint and choose the next king of Israel. And so he comes to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. And he walks in. And Je all of Jesse's sons, except one, come stand up. And Samuel is looking at all of them. And he says, Lord, all of these would be fantastic candidates. And, and, and God goes, no, 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 no. The man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Bring in from the field the shepherd boy who is clearly unworthy and not right for this role. And that's my choice. That's my choice. What does it mean to look at the heart? The root, not the branch. Not what you do. Who you are. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. In other words, God is not coming after the public version of you. Listen to me tonight. He is not coming after the social media version of you. He is not coming after your ideal version of you. He's coming after the you behind closed doors that nobody else knows. He's coming after the deep, private, intimate, personal spaces of your life. Before the foundation of the world, he saw you. Every bit of dirt, every bit of inadequacy, every bit of imperfection and said, I'm going to die anyway. That's who he's coming after. And this is so important because we live in a world that is so captivated by being fake, even with ourselves. We live in a world that is consumed with showing the best versions of ourselves. And yet, Scripture gives us the antithesis. He shows us a God who's going after the worst version of yourself. The one that nobody wants to be with. The one that nobody wants to be friends with on Facebook. The one that nobody wants to tag in their post. That's the person he wants to go after. Now you can look at that one or two ways. It can make you uncomfortable and it should. And at the same time liberate you from trying to put on a facade of somebody that you're not. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. So tonight, 
as we hop into what that means. Let's just be bold with each other and say, okay, this isn't where you get to put on a mask or a facade of who you love to be. Let's all just simply be who God's created us to be. And let's let him have his way tonight. And just see what happens. Not the public version of you, the social media version of you, the real version of you. He came to give you new life. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist for us to take a step back and look at society right now and say things are pretty screwed up. Yeah? Right? I mean, let's, let's, let's hashtag real talk right now. Right? Hashtag real talk right now. You guys live in the highest teen suicide rate area, one of in America. Right? Statistically speaking, about half, half of the 15-year-olds in America can be expecting to live with their same biological parents by the time they turn 15. Now, we've heard the divorce rate, right, and we see it tossed around like, like kind of a softball, right? Well, that's 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, if we were to look at life 20 years ago, the average age to get married was 20, 21, 22. Today, the average age to get married is 27 and a half, 28, 29. And now we have a reason for this. The institution of marriage itself is at risk more than it ever has been in the history of society. Why? Because we don't like to make commitments. Right? We hear, we hear, we hear words thrown around like, I don't need a piece of paper to show somebody that I love them. And really, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, really what's being said in that statement is, I don't love somebody enough to commit to them. Right? I don't love somebody enough to commit to them. So, so we see instead of marriages taking place, and we know what the stats say. We know that, that a child has a greater chance of success, a greater chance for education, a greater chance for career, and a greater chance for social relationships if their parents are married and stay together through their childhood. And yet the ever-growing statistics is cohabitating homes, single-parent homes, or ch- fatherless parent homes where instead we are getting... The exact opposite, right? And so our solution as a society is, okay, well, let's give more money towards the issue. Let's let's create more programs for the issue. We are watching the most provocative and deplorable industries grow and go on the rise with sex trafficking and pornography like nobody's business. Why? Jesus knew what he was saying when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. He understood. We can take away the branch. We can change the branch. But if we don't change the heart, no good is going to come out of anything. Are you tracking with me? If we don't change the root. If the root is not transformed, if the root is not made from dead to life, we will not see good fruit. Are you tracking with me? Jesus understood what he was saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this brings us to our two questions. What does it mean to see God? And what is it to be pure in heart? Three things I'm going to hustle through. If you're taking notes, try to track with me as best as you can. What I believe it means to see God, and I think we see supported biblically. The first thing, to see God is to be admitted into his presence. Let me define what I mean by that. We see in scripture that when Christ died on the cross and he was raised to life, scripture says that the veil was torn from top to bottom, from Christ to humanity. And we have been given access to who he is as a God again. We have been admitted into his presence. When you go see a doctor, when you go see a doctor, is this something that you do where you go, okay, you're going to call the doctor and you say, these are my issues, diagnose me. No. They have this new thing where you like Skype a doctor. Has anybody seen that? It's like you got an issue. And it's like they'll help you inspect yourself. It's like, 
No. <laughs> I don't want to put my own fingers down my throat. Like, like, no, I want to see a doctor. So when you go to see a doctor, you go to the waiting room and then you are admitted into the observing room. And the doctor comes in and he assesses you. And yet we kind of think of God with this deistic personality where he's like, he's out there and it's like, if you can observe me from afar, that would be fantastic. No. What he is saying right here is that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They shall be admitted into his presence. They're going to sit with their Abba Father. They're going to be at his feet. And he's going to talk with them. And he's going to commune with them. And they are going to be comforted by him. What does it mean to see God? To be admitted in his presence. Number two, to be overwhelmed by his glory. This is like my favorite statement ever. To be overwhelmed by his glory. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Let me tell you. It means that it's not about you. It's not about you. It means that you exist and you realize that you exist for a purpose outside yourself. You exist for a purpose outside yourself. And if you can grasp that reality, one, it can make you a Debbie Downer and you can be bitter and you can go cry in the closet. Or you can realize that it is the most liberating thing that you can ever hold fast to because it's not about you. It's about something better than you. It's about something more holy than you. It's about something more good than you. It's about something more pure than you. It's about something more righteous than you. It's about God. What does it mean to see God, to be admitted into his presence, to be overwhelmed by his glory? And third, I just forgot, oh, to be comforted by his grace. Did you know contrary to popular belief, we have a, a lot more difficult time receiving something freely than we do earning something? We love to work. We love. And it's yet, today, if somebody comes and offers you a gift, the first thought has to be, what's their hidden agenda? What's the hidden agenda? What do you want from me? And yet the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who extends his hand. And he says, look, this isn't about you getting your act together. This isn't about you working for holiness. This is about you receiving my hand. We're comforted by his grace. We're comforted by the fact that when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we actually don't line up to par. We don't. And if we, if we can begin to see that, all of a sudden life going like this, earning, begins to go like this. Receiving. You tracking with me? Three things. To be admitted into his presence, to be overwhelmed by his glory, to be comforted by his grace. Which brings us to question two. What is it to be pure in heart? One of my favorite psalms comes after one of the most popular psalms in the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, David says this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now in the Old Testament, it's clear to see what David means by a pure heart. Okay. Two things. To not swear by something that is false and to not swear deceitfully. Okay. I'm going to do the best I can to break this down theologically and what it means. What it means to, to not swear by something false or deceitfully or to do that is to have two wills. Two wills. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. So to have two wills means this. I want what I want and I want what God wants. Sure, I would love to be identified as a son of God and yet I still want to be Lord over my own life. Sure, I would love to save myself from marriage and keep my sexuality within the confines of marriage. But at the same time, I would like to do what I want. You tracking with me? Two wills. Now the purpose and the reality of these two wills is that it is impossible for them to coexist with one another. You can't be God and God can't be God at the same time. 
only one king. And so he says, okay, the impure in heart, those who do not have a pure heart sit in life like this. I want my way and there's God's way. And I'm going to go back and forth and back and forth. And I want this way and I want that way and I want this way and I want that. And I want the benefits of being a son or a daughter of God. And, and so many of us, we get saved this way. It's like, I don't want to go to hell. Right? And so it's like, yeah, so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do this sort of thing. But it's like, oh. But alcohol can taste so good. Right? Or being addicted to alcohol can be so good. Or having some form of sexual addiction can feel so good. Or, or being my own boss can feel so good. And so it's like we kind of go back and forth and it's like, yeah, I don't want hell. But if we're being honest, we're saying, but I don't want a God. Two wills to go back and forth. So David is defining, okay, who who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? And he makes it clear, one who has clean hands and a pure heart. We see this again in the book of James in the New Testament. And he says, look at me. Wash your hands, oh you sinners. Purify your hearts, oh you double-minded people. Double-minded, two wills. You can't be God and God can't be God. It can't be two things that are antagonistic towards one another. I think Jesus makes it a lot more simple for us. Jesus makes it a lot, lot more simple for us. Matthew 22 verse 37. When we talk about what is a pure heart. And Jesus just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it's not about you. tastes better. He tastes sweet. It's about God. It's not about your way. It's about God's way. It's not about you being glorified. It's about God being glorified. And we go back and forth and back and forth. But what he is essentially saying is the pure in heart is the one who loves God with all their heart. Now, if you are like me, who is the skeptic, you are not the optimist. That's why God gave me a wife. I don't see the glass half full. I see it half empty, right? You're like me, and, and you're sitting here going, okay, preacher, I hear you. I hear you. I can't have two wills, I can't have my way, and I can't have God's way. But let's, let's be real for a second. That's my life every day, right? How many of you wake up feeling like, oh, yes, God, it's all about you? And then the second your sister takes the bathroom for three hours, you're like, oh, no, it's all about me. <laughs> right? Right? Like, like, like if we're, if we're going to be honest for a second, it's like, okay, we'll wake up in the morning. And it's like, God, it's all about you. And that babe who goes to your school just broke up with her boyfriend. And it's like, oh, yeah. But it's kind of about me. Right? It's like open season, okay? I'm going to go out. Right? It's like we have these moments where it's like, okay, look, it's all about you. But at the same time, it would be great if, and if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we wake up every morning and, and you're sitting here tonight and you're going, what you're talking about simply isn't practical. For us to arrive at the location where it's always about God and never about us is an issue. And me as the skeptic, I read, I read the Sermon on the Mount and I'm like, God, <laughs> you've heard, I've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery, but even who, at one who looks at a woman with lust in her heart, they've already committed adultery. Or you say, thou shalt not commit murder, but that he who is even angry with an unrighteous anger with his brother has already committed murder. I'm like, Lord, I've already broken it like 17,000 times in the first 15 minutes of my day. Right? And we're saying this, if we're going to be honest, like it's not realistic. This moral code, this moral, it's not realistic. Again, I'm bringing you back to the beginning. We see two things. How inadequate we are and how perfect God is. And so we see the disciples then ask Jesus the same question. They arrive at the same conclusion. They go, Lord, who then can be saved? Who can have a pure heart? It's like on these standards, no one in this room, right? Who, who can have a pure heart? And Jesus' response 
kind of leaves us in like a, okay. He simply goes, with men it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then we see it re-emphasized again in Ephesians 4, verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20, it says this. Paul is addressing the Jewish people, and he says, look, you're no longer to live like Gentiles. You know, you are to put off the old practices of life, impurity, greediness, sexuality, and you're to put on the new man. And starting in verse 24, he says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were not taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we hear that and we're like, yeah, but I still want my way. I have a story that I want to end with. And I, we can go ahead and invite the band back up to close here in, in time of response. One of my favorite preachers, um, really loved listening to him. And he tells this story of when he was in college. Tells the story of when he was in college. And he, he, was, he was a young pastor at the time. He was kind of just beginning to develop in his ministry. And he gets seated next to a lady in his class who does not know the Lord. She's, she's agnostic. She's, a, she's an atheist, something along those lines. And she, he's, he begins a dialogue with her and he begins to get to know her. And she goes, okay, well, hey, what do you do? And he goes, hey, I work in ministry and I'm, I'm a pastor and this is kind of where I feel God's led me in my life. And, and he goes, how about you tell me about your life? And she goes, yeah, I don't believe in God. Um, I'm in an affair with a man who's married and has kids and I'm trying to make it work. And he's sitting there like, oh no, <laughs> how is this going to go, <laughs> right? And so they begin to talk and, and so he, they, they, you know, they just kind of begin to discuss like, okay, why, why would that be hurtful maybe to the man's wife and, and hurtful to his kids? And she just kind of didn't see it that way. It's kind of all about love and how we feel. And, and, and so, so one night, his friend who was a worship leader, they had a massive event going on at their church and he invited him to come to come watch and he, he was a worship leader so so he, he just said you know what I'm gonna invite this girl this is a great opportunity to, to evangelize her and so he invites this lady he says hey I have a friend who's a worship leader he's playing at this church in town it's probably gonna be awful but hey do you want to come and she goes she 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 come to the place where she trusted him trusted him enough she said okay yeah so so they go to this church and and they're sitting in the stand just like you and the, the worship team does a, does a decent job. They finish up. They sit down. And the pastor gets up to preach. And he says, tonight I'm going to talk about sex. And you can, you can imagine, you can imagine like the horror going through this guy's mind as he's sitting with this lady who's in an affair with another man. And he's like, oh, goodness. And, and so this is how the pastor opened the sermon. He took a rose. He took a rose, fresh, cut, flourishing, pristine, full of petals, full of life. And he smelt it and he said, look at this rose, how precious, how fine. And then he takes the rose and he throws it out in the audience. There's about a thousand people there. And he said, I want this rose to pass through every single seat. And I want every single person to hold this rose. And I want you to smell it. And I want you to touch it. I want you to pet it. I don't even know what that means. But he wanted to do that. He's like, I want every person to do it as I preach this message. And I'm not going to go into the details to what he said the guy began to preach on. But long story short, he gave a very, very rough and very, very unbiblical message on purity. He went after behavior, not the heart. And so he comes to the end of his message and he goes, okay. Where's my rose? Where's my rose? Who, who has my rose? And so, so some kid brings him up the rose, and he grabs this rose, and after it had been touched by a thousand hands, there are almost no petals left. The stem has been broken. It is worn out. And he's sitting there, and the pastor goes, now who would want this? Who would want this? It's been used. It's been abused. It's been neglected. It's imperfect man who's sitting there with the woman who's in an adulterous affair, he sat there and he said that his heart began to swell with anger, 
righteous anger. And he said it took everything inside him not to scream, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of our God, is that he understands every person who walked in this room tonight has an impure heart, and they needed a savior. He knew that you were going to be abused, neglected, imperfect, fragile, sinful, and before the foundation of the world decided to save you anyway. Jesus wants the rose. So the question goes, how can we achieve a pure heart? It's impossible. We go back and forth every day. And brothers, sister, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, you receive a pure heart through the gift of faith. preacher said one time, faith is the instrument in which God uses to clean our heart. Faith. How do you see God? You don't see God without the man who gave this sermon. How do we know God? You don't know God without the man who gave this sermon. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the good news of the gospel. Is that look, he didn't come for you to clean up your act. He came to give you new life. He came to make an old thing new. He came to make a dead thing alive. This is why there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because when God looks at his people, they see the pure heart of his son. That's the good news. You can bow your heads with me this evening. When I walked in here this evening and as I was praying over every single chair, I felt abundantly that, that somebody walked in this evening. in these doors this evening and you are riddled with guilt because of what you have done. And you are not the first to sit here at a church service and think the thought, Pastor, you do not know how far I've gone. Pastor, you do not know how dirty I am. And I would say to you, you're absolutely right, I don't. receive that. Some decent prophet. He is God Him. 
himself, the creator of the universe, the savior of the universe, the redeemer of the universe, the restorer of the universe. And he is here. His presence is here this evening to give you new life. To give you new life. So I want you to do something bold with me, something nervous with me this evening. Two things, whether you are saved or whether you are not, if you walked in this evening, everybody's eyes closed, if you walked in this evening overwhelmed with guilt and with shame, can you please raise your hand? Can you please raise your hand? Overwhelmed with guilt and shame. We made a deal. Take that mask off and let's be real. The, the, the you that is behind closed doors is the one that Jesus is after tonight. I see you. I see you. I see you. Okay, I want you to keep those hands up. Now, if you came in here this evening and you don't know this God, you don't know this God in all the past 30 minutes or even the past hours we've been worshiping, you've been feeling something stirring in your heart and you're going, I need, I need what is here, what is, what is taking place inside me. Let me give clarity and light to what's happening. The Holy Spirit is beginning to work inside you. The Holy Spirit is beginning to give you ears to hear and eyes to see a God who loves you. If that is you this evening, can you please raise your hand? Please raise your hand. You want to know God. You want a relationship with Him. You want to know this Jesus. Oh, I see you. I see you. I see you. This is what I want to do. I want everyone to stand up. Oh, this is beautiful. This is the good news of the gospel. He brings life to dead places. Can you open your hands with me this evening? I love, I love this act. The act of opening the hands because it does two things. It's a symbol of you letting go of whatever you're holding on to tonight. You letting go brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you that your word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Lord, so I thank you right now that it is not of you for us to be weighed down by guilt or weighed down by shame. But the good news of the gospel is to say that you came to give us new life. You came to give us confidence in the midst of your presence. You came to make us a new creation. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now for my brothers and sisters who are holding on to that guilt and they're holding on to that shame, Jesus, as they are real and authentic before you, they would let it go. They would let it go and in turn, they would take upon your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light, and they would feel renewed by you right now. They would feel restored by you right now. Jesus, I just ask that you would begin to stir up a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in their life. God, that you would begin to tear away the pieces of the old man and in turn put new life. Lord, I pray that they would be strengthened by your word and by your truth, Lord, that nothing would look sweeter, nothing would look better, nothing would look more desirable than knowing you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brother and sisters who you have awakened this evening. You have unveiled their eyes to see you. I pray they would be comforted by your voice right now. DSM, this is what I want you to do with me. For those of you in here who are saying yes, 
I want to know this God. I want to step into this faith. I want to believe that Christ is Lord. I want you to understand something. This is not about you inviting Jesus into your heart. This is about Jesus inviting you into his life. Into his life. So I want everyone to repeat after me. And if you believe these words, whether you are saved or whether you are not, proclaim them. Say, Heavenly Father, come. Make me new. Restore me. Redeem me. Make me whole. Jesus, I declare you as Lord. I declare you as King. I declare you as the one in control over my life. Take my life and use it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus the shout and praise that is worthy of? There's something special and significant about just proclaiming together as, as, as a people that God is God. So when we're, we're going to do one more song. This is what I want to invite you to do. Don't, don't shift gears and shift back on a face in which you're comfortable. Just be raw and authentic before the Lord this evening. Praise Him, for He has given you a pure heart. And because He has given you a pure heart, he has given you the ability to see him. He's worthy. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your focus. He's worthy of all that you are. Remember what it means to see God, to be overwhelmed by his glory, is to realize and affirm that you exist for a purpose outside yourself. And I pray that that truth would set you free this evening. Let's worship together.